And I do not see that the Bible has ever taught that God favors the man over the woman. But God has set up a divine order. And he has done that so that there, there might be blessing in our lives and peace in our lives and in our homes and in our marriages and in the church. Welcome to Under the Fig Tree. Under the Fig Tree is a verse-by-verse study taught by Pastor Jeff Figs of Calvary Chapel of Greeley. We are currently studying through the New Testament book of 1 Corinthians. Here's Pastor Jeff. Now, as we finished chapter 10 last week, we finished that section as Paul would close his discussion to the Corinthian believers concerning liberty in Christ. And as we were in chapter 10, we saw that Paul would make that wonderful declaration once again that all things are lawful for me. But as we saw in that section of chapter 8 through 10, that is, as Paul was writing about our Christian liberty, that we study very carefully, we also know that as we learn about our freedom in Christ, and, and truly we are free in Christ, and that's what I pray that we have a good understanding that we are free from the world, we are free from sin, we are free from the power of sin in our lives. And that's what Christ has brought to us as he went to Calvary's cross and died for you and for me. And I do pray this morning that if there's anyone that's here, that you have not surrendered your life to Jesus Christ and and have asked him to be your Lord and Savior, recognizing that that I need to turn to Jesus to receive forgiveness of sin. I, I need Jesus and the power of the Holy Spirit in my life to be free from the world and the power of sin on me and and the things of the world that that want to keep me in bondage and in slavery, that we are indeed free in Christ. Jesus said, you shall know the truth and the truth shall set you free. He also declared that I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. So true freedom only comes by a relationship with Jesus Christ. And if you don't have a relationship with him, you're not going to know what true freedom is all about. So our freedom is in Christ as we surrender our hearts to him, come in faith and recognizing who he is and what he has done for you and for me. But in that freedom, as we saw that Paul very carefully would explain to us that in the exercising of that liberty that you have in Christ, make sure, first of all, that you don't stumble a weaker brother and sister that is in Christ. And we saw the specific issue that they were asking Paul about, and that was meat that had been offered to idols. And it was causing division and hard feelings, and, and, and it was causing confusion within the church because many of those Corinthian believers were coming out of idolatry, as we have discussed. They were coming out of immorality, and there are many idols that were worshipped within the city of Corinth. And so with these temples that were set up, dedicated to these pagan idols, there were the sacrifices that were given to those idols. And there was meat that was available for the Christians to be able to go to those temples and buy that meat that had been offered to an idol and to bring it home to eat it themselves or to serve it to other brothers and sisters. We know from chapter 8 that Paul indicates to us very clearly that the Christians even had opportunities to go to those shambles, those restaurants there at the pagan temples, and even eat of that meat because he mentions, what are you going to do? How is it going to look when another Christian see you eating at that pagan temple? 
chapter 8, verse 10. And so they were asking questions about that. So Paul lays out a very beautiful principle that knowledge puffs up. The Corinthians were very, very prideful about their knowledge and wisdom. And perhaps you have the knowledge that an idol is nothing in and of itself. But Paul would go out as he expanded that principle to say that love edifies. And out of the sake of sensitivity and and love for the weaker brother and sister, you don't want to stumble them. So Paul says that if it does stumble a weaker brother or sister, I won't eat meat in, in their presence. And so he expanded on that. So don't stumble the weaker brother and sister. And also he would explain very carefully to us, which is important for us to understand, that in the liberty that we have in Christ, make sure that you don't do anything that will cause you to miss out on the blessings of the Lord and hinder the race that you're running. So we learn in chapter 9 in verses 25 through 27 that we have a race that we're running. And the apostle tells us that you're to run that race, to run the race to win the prize and to be temperate in all things, that is, be disciplined, and make sure that you're not doing anything in your walk or your race with the Lord that may weigh you down or stumble you or, or hinder you in any way, cause you to fall. And so that's what we discuss as, as you, we moved into chapter 10, then Paul used the children of Israel as an example of ones because of their sin, because of their disobedience, because of their complaining and murmuring. And their immorality and idolatry, they were scattered in the wilderness. They had been set free. They had been set free from Egypt. Egypt in the Old Testament, as we discuss on Wednesday nights, is a picture of the world. You and I have been set free from the world, haven't we? And we belong to the kingdom of God. But in our race that we run, in this life, I want to enter into the promised land. That is that life of the fullness and blessing that God has for you and for me as we just walk in obedience and walk in faith, as I just desire to get closer to the Lord. You see, the Corinthians, again, they had problems of pride and division and carnality and even immorality. And so Paul was addressing some things that were very important for them to understand and to know you're not to be stumbled and weighed down and hindered by sin and the things of the world and and things that will do that. You want to run your race and stay the course to win the prize, the imperishable crown that is laid up for you. You see, sometimes as Christians, we can develop the mentality of how close the world can I get? Or how involved can I be in the world? Or how much of the world can I have in my life and still be a Christian? And it's kind of like, how close to the cliff can I get before I end up falling off that cliff? And that's not the mentality or the heart that you and I are to have as Christians, is it? The heart and the mentality that you and I are to have as Christians is how close can I get to Jesus? How close can I get to Him and and to love Him more and to know Him more? That needs to be the mentality and heart that you and I have. How can I please you in my life? I don't want to do anything, Lord, that's going to bring heartache to you. I don't want to do anything that's going to hinder me in my walk or my race with you. And so we discuss those things very carefully as we went and traveled through those chapters, chapters 8 through 10. And 
Now as we move into chapter 11, Paul is going to be changing subjects. He's going to be dealing with the issue of church conduct. First of all, he's going to be dealing with the order of women in the church. Uh, Paul's going to give instructions concerning women in the worship service. We'll see that in verses 2 through 16. And then later in the chapter, he's going to talk about conduct at the Lord's Supper, and that is verses 17 through 34. But before we get into to those things, first of all, we read in verse 1, is the apostle writes to imitate me just as I also imitate Christ. Now remember that when you read your Bibles that it was the translators that put in the chapter divisions and in, in the verses. And, and I believe that as we look at verse 1 here, it probably fits a little bit better in the flow of what we read in chapter 10. Remember, this was just a letter that Paul wrote to them. And when you kind of read it in that way sometimes, without the chapter divisions, you see how it flows. And verse 1 really goes along with what he finished up in chapter 10. As in the previous verse he spoke about in chapter 10, how he was not seeking his own profit and his own glory, but for the profit of others in the body of Christ. And we are told in scriptures that we are to be looking out for others. That's what we saw very carefully in these chapters that we covered over the last couple of weeks. We know that Philippians chapter 2 tells us that we are to look out not only for our own interests, but for the interests of others. And Paul says something very amazing and very convicting here, isn't it? He says, imitate me as I imitate Christ. And I pray that it is something that I can say in my life that you can say in your life. That, that today, this morning, I want to take to the Lord as I read this and I'm reminded of this. That, Lord, somehow, in some way, I want to be able to say to my family, to my kids, to people that know me, to the body of Christ, to you here at Calvary Chapel, imitate me as I imitate Christ. And I hope that that's your heart, that you want to be able to say that as well. And Paul is not saying this with any kind of arrogance or pride. He's saying this very humbly. And and what he is saying is, as he declares this to a whole city, to a whole church, watch me and do what I do. Because I imitate Christ. He was saying, it is not Paul that is the worthy example, but Paul the follower of Jesus who was the example. Follow me as much as you see me following Jesus. And I want to say that to others. So again, it isn't a matter how much of the world, and that can be the mentality in a lot of the church today. How much carnality of the world can I have in me and still declare to be a Christian? I want to be able to say to others, imitate me as I imitate Christ in some way, in some fashion. That I want to be a follower of Christ and have people see the reality of Christ in my life. And I hope that's your prayer as well, that, men, you can say that to your kids and to your wife and, and to those at work, that, that, ladies, that you can say that as well, that all of us can say, imitate me as I imitate Christ, because my desire and priority in my life is to learn of him and to follow him. And I hope that that is noticed in the lives of other people around me. And so now as we go again into chapter 11, is we see that, that Paul is going to be changing subjects. He is addressing another issue concerning church order here. Now keep in mind that as we go through this chapter of 1 Corinthians, he's going to be stressing the principle of glorifying God and building each other up in the church. 
So verse 2, Now I praise you, brethren, that you remember me in all things and keep the traditions just as I delivered them to you. So Paul is commending them, giving them praise for the fact that they remembered him, that they've been devoted to the teachings, the central doctrines of the faith which he has given to them. And that's really what he's talking about when you read that word traditions, to keep the traditions there in verse 2. He's not talking about the traditions of men. We know that Paul had written to the Colossian church in chapter 2 of that epistle. They says, don't be cheated by the traditions of men. Remember that? He said, don't be cheated by man's philosophies, by empty deceit, that which is not according to Christ. He declared in chapter 2 of Colossians that in him, that is in Christ, is hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. And so what Paul is referring to, speaking here of the traditions, he's speaking of doctrine that was given to them by the apostles. As it pertains to Christ in the church, as he begins to speak more on how they can please God in the church. But I want to point something out before we continue on that I think is worth considering. And that is that this letter that we have seen is corrective in nature. Certainly it is. And we're going to continue to see that the correction is going to be brought to them. But Paul the Apostle, when he had the opportunity to, he would also confirm them with the things that they were doing well in. And that's important for you and I to consider as we minister to others, whether it is to our family, whether we're discipling others, whether we're ministering to others in the church. We need to to encourage them and build them up and remind them of the things that they are doing well. You see, part of our ministry to our children and to others that, that we minister to, that we want to bring correction to them when there needs to be. We bring it out of love. We bring it out of sensitivity according to the word of God and the desire for them to do well in the things of God. But we don't want to forget that we also want to affirm those things that they're doing well in. And that's how we can truly build each other up and encourage one another. And I know that when somebody comes along and and says, hey, and it just approves those things. I, I see this in your life and God is working in this way. It's a great encouragement. And it isn't it to you when somebody does that with you? They say, you know, I see how God is working and, and it's being demonstrated in your life that what a great encouragement it is. And you recall that in Philippians chapter 1, verse 10, when Paul was praying for the church, he said, to prove the things that are excellent. And that's a good thing for you and I to remember, that the things that are excellent that are going on in a person's life or going on in the life of a church, We need to approve of those things. We need to approve of those things that are good, that are going on in the life of an individual. And that's what Paul is saying. And I believe that as we do that, then they, the church and and individuals in the church or people in our families are going to be more responsive, willing to, to listen to us when we do need to bring correction and instruction. And so that's what Paul is doing now as he speaks about now women in the church and the principle of headship, verse 3. He writes, but I want you to know that the head of every man is Christ, the head of every woman is man, and the head of Christ is God. My wife Sue told me that she'd be praying for me this morning as we go over this text. (laughs) But I believe that the Lord really wants us to be blessed and benefited as we consider this and look at this. So Paul here, he's setting the foundation for his teaching in this section that will take us again through verse 16. He says, I want you to know, in other words, when he says that in in the New Testament, in the book of Corinthians, he's saying, have a clear and a good understanding of this, you believers. Have this understanding, this principle, and, and it's a key in your 
life as a Christian. It's a key in our walk with the Lord, and it's a key, as we're going to see, in our homes and in our marriages and, and in the church life as well. He says the head of every man is Christ. The head of woman is man, and the head of Christ is God. And so remember that Paul is saying this, inspired by the Spirit of God, and he is informing us right away here as we look at this that there's a definite order of headship in God's plan. Now, Paul, I'll say this right away. As he is saying this, he is not going to be talking about that the man is superior to the woman. He's not going to be discussing or giving you know, the indication that the woman is inferior to man. Rather, he is talking about that we have certain roles that we have, a divine design that God has set up, an order that he has in our marriages, in our homes, and even in the church life. And when we come to that place where we understand that God's design of order that he's given to you and to me as we submit to that, we are submitting in humility and in obedience. And I want to make sure that we're clear on that because there are those who will read chapter 11 and they'll try to dismiss this. And they'll say, well, it just had cultural bearings or, you know, Paul was just a man that had a bad attitude about women. He's a single man and he just thought of women as being inferior and that's not true. And as you look at the heart of the apostle, as he would mention uh, the women that he co-labored with in the Lord. At the end of this book, we're going to see he's going to mention Priscilla and Aquila. Priscilla was one that he had great respect and, and uh, appreciation for her ministry as her and Aquila, her husband, would then minister alongside with Paul. They met in Corinth, and they would make tents together, and they labored with the Lord together. As you read in the book of Romans uh, in chapter 16, when Paul is finishing that that letter, he's greeting the saints that are in Rome, and many of the saints that had greeted were women. And again, that co-labored with him. And he would express that great appreciation, and he admired them and respected them as they would come along and minister the gospel and the things of the kingdom and co-labor with the Lord with him. So please, get this picture of Paul being one that didn't respect or appreciate women in the church at all. These are words that are coming from our Lord. And I do not see that the Bible has ever taught that God favors the man over the woman. But God has set up a divine order. And he has done that so that there, there might be blessing in our lives and peace in our lives and in our homes and in our marriages and in the church. So again, Paul's not talking about superiority or, or one being inferior to another. He's talking about that in this order, that submitting to it, there is humility and obedience. You say, how do you know that, Jeff? Because a key is this. As we read here that he says that, um, that the head of Christ is God. And as we look at that, was Jesus Christ, you can ask yourself, inferior to the Father? No, he wasn't, was he? But it says here that the head of Christ is God. What did Jesus do? He willingly and in humility he submitted himself to the authority of the Father. He says, I don't do my own thing. In other words, I don't come in my own authority, he would say. I do nothing of my own self, only what the Father's will do I do. Did that mean that Jesus was inferior to the Father? Not at all. He was one with the Father. He was equal with the Father. Jesus said, the Father and I are one. 
In Philippians 2, he did not consider it to be robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, taking on the form of a bondservant. He humbled himself. And so, too, with every person that chooses to humble themselves, the woman chooses in humility to say, I submit to the headship, to my husband. Not because he's better, not at all, but because that's the way God has designed it. And in humility and obedience, I know that that's going to set me free to what God wants me to be. It was interesting. I was reading an article out of National Geographic. I remember reading it um, a few years ago, and I dug it back up. In National Geographic, in in March of 2002, there's an article on a two-headed snake. And this two-headed snake that they found there in Spain, it's the snake is Elafi scalaris is the scientific name. Eight inches long, non-poisonous snake. But scientists found this snake that was two heads, and they took it and they studied it for almost a year. That's how long it lived. And what they discovered was that the snake lived its life, its short life, very, very confused. And in that confusion, it had great difficulty deciding which way to go, how to respond to attack, which head would eat the prey. And it's interesting that snakes operate uh, uh, on a great deal of smell. So if one of the heads smelled some prey, oftentimes he would attack the other head and try to swallow it. So it didn't last very long. It would end up dying sh- you know, long before the expected lifespan of, of those kinds of snakes. But they made these observations of confusion and, and frustration and undeciding which way to go and things like that. You see, two heads, it doesn't work. And that's why God gives order here. And if there is fighting that is going on in the home of who is the head, who will take the lead in being the leader spiritually, providing a covering and protection for your family. If the husband and wife are fighting over that position, and I understand there's different circumstances for some of you that are out there. But if the husband and wife are fighting over that position, if there are two heads, there's going to be confusion. And you're going to be striking at one another. And it doesn't work. So it's a loving father that says, here's the plan. That in the home, the husband is to be in authority, not because he's better than the woman, but this is the way that I'm regulating it to be. It's a divine design. It's the right order. But there's something worth noting here, men, as we look at that. Christ is the head of every man, it says here. So guys, in this headship, in this leadership that we have been given, By God, through his word, we need to understand what that means. That you and I are under the authority of Christ. Which means that you and I are to be godly men in submission to the Lord, seeking the Lord, loving your wife, being gentle and kind and protecting and cherishing and serving her and laying down your life for her. Just as we saw the example of Jesus when he was here on this earth ministering to us. That he is one that is the head of the church and we are to love our wives as Christ loved the church. We are to be thinking about her well-being. So being the head over the woman is a huge, huge responsibility that we need to, as men, husbands, really consider what that means and to seek the Lord about it. It does not mean that you're this big, arrogant oath that rules over your wife with, with pride and arrogance or force or whatever. 
And I don't believe that's the kind of interpretation or understanding that the Scripture gives at all about the headship and the responsibilities that men that we have been given in the home. Again, a familiar verse in Ephesians 5. We've talked about it before. For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church. He is the Savior of the body. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her. How did Christ love the church? He served the church. He laid down his life. He was tender-hearted. He was compassionate. He was kind. He was one that was willing to give up his life for the church. And that's the way we're to love our wives. He loved the church unconditionally. You love your wife unconditionally. And you're designed for her to do well in the things of God and to bring cherishing and protection and a covering over her. That's what's being emphasized in the Scriptures as our responsibility, amen. And you are in submission to Christ and pray about what does that mean? What does it mean? Where am I falling short in that? He goes on and he says, verse 4, Every man praying or prophesying, having his head covered, dishonors his head. But every woman who prays or prophesies with her head uncovered dishonors her head, for that is one and the same as if her head were shaved. For if a woman is not covered, let her also be shorn. But if it is, it is shameful for a woman to be shorn or shaved, let her be covered. So what's Paul saying here? Because this passage has been the subject of many interesting debates and discussion among Christians. Paul tells us because of this order of authority, it is inappropriate for men to pray under a head covering and inappropriate for women to pray without a head covering. And the whole idea of head coverings was important in this culture. You see, to wear a head covering was a public symbol of being under the authority and protection of another. Thank you for joining us on Under the Fig Tree. If you would like a copy of today's study, please call us and ask for the message with today's date. Our phone number is 970-330-1717. That number again, 970-330-1717. If you prefer, you can write us at 2602 West 27th Street, Greeley, Colorado, 80634. You can also visit us online at ccgreeley.com. Under the Fig Tree is brought to you by Calvary Chapel of Greeley. We invite you to join with us for our Sunday morning services at 8.30 and 10.30 a.m. and our Wednesday evening service at 7 p.m. Please join with us next time as we continue to study the Bible together on Under the Fig Tree.